0: will be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 16, celebrating the hope that Jesus brings. In 1981, there was a great flood in China and there was a uh, Buddhist temple, Pagoda that was destroyed. And after uh, its destruction several years later, archaeologists went back and they began to excavate the remains of that temple. And while they were there, they came across a little miniature casket And in this casket that had been sealed, they found a finger. And many of them speculated and many began to believe that this was literally the finger of Buddha. And so they took that finger and they put it in a glass encasement and hermetically sealed it. And they put it on exhibit throughout all of China, through uh, all of the Mideast, uh, those who would like to have it and like to see it. And millions and millions came to see that finger of Buddha. Now, what's interesting about our faith and what's interesting about Christianity is that according to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes a very uh, strong case that if ever they were to really find the body of Jesus, a finger, a hand, a head, or a body that that would literally destroy our faith. You know why? Because of the resurrection. Paul makes it crystal clear in 1 Corinthians 15. If you've not read that chapter, I encourage you to go home and read that, that the bodily resurrection of Christ is essential to our faith. Why? Well, as we'll read here in just a moment, we'll see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 7, because when they came to find His body, The angel of the Lord said, He is risen. He's not here. He's risen just like He said that He would do. You see, that is the principal issue of our faith. Not just that Jesus died on behalf of our sins, which is wonderful. Not that He was buried, but on the third day He rose again just as He said He would. And we will look at some conclusive evidence this morning that shows us that the death, the burial, but even more importantly, the resurrection of Christ is what transforms our lives today. It's what distinguishes us as believers. If you have your Bible, turn with me and let's look at Mark chapter 16. You know, today if you go back to any other tomb, if you go to Muhammad's tomb, you can find him there. If you go to Buddha... If you go to Gandhi, great men who had great influence, whom they made shrines out of their tombs, which was very popular in that particular time, in that day and age. But no shrine was ever made of Jesus' tomb because it wasn't necessary. Because His body was not there. It was resurrected. And it changed everything. It changed the disciples' lives. It changed the course of history. It changed everything just like when the first man discovered fire. That was probably pretty significant. That probably pretty much changed everything when whoever the caveman was that discovered fire. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there hadn't been any cooked food up to that point. It was probably kind of getting old, and they were probably cold a lot of time. They go, this this changes everything. This is incredible. We can stay up later at night. I mean, this changes everything. Later on, uh, we see other inventions that occur. Uh, we found, you know, they discovered that the world was indeed actually round and not flat. That changed uh, everything from a commercial standpoint and from a belief standpoint. When they discovered the printing press in 1440, when the Gutenberg press was invented, uh, before that time, very few people had copies of books, much less copies of Bibles. A lot of times, the city would just have one Bible uh, in a whole t- small town or village. But now, with the Gutenberg Press, hundreds and hundreds of books were ever printed and in 150 years, they were all over the place. It changed everything. We know that when electricity was invented, it changed everything. When the car, when the plane, when the atomic bomb, computers, it had a dramatic impact in our lives. But none like the resurrection of Christ. Verse 1, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, brought some spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? You ever wondered what they were thinking when this occurred? You ever wondered what they were thinking as they were going to the tomb do you think maybe if they were thinking about His birth? Remember how He was born? Remember how it was miraculous? Remember how it was prophesied? Remember how Herod tried to kill Him? Or maybe they were thinking about some of the miracles that He had performed. How He had fed the 5,000. How He had healed the leopard and the cripple. How He had cast the demons out of Mary Magdalene herself. Seven demons out of Mary I wonder if they were thinking about his miracles and about his words. I wonder if they were thinking about uh, his uh, triumphal entry the week before, how he, how excuse me, Pilate had come in from the west on a horse with a mighty Roman Empire, but here is Jesus coming in on a donkey, and children and women saying, "Hosanna to the King! Glory to God in the highest! Hosanna!" Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna means save us now. Hosanna. Then there were still others that maybe wondered, I wonder if the religious leaders or the authorities, have they gotten what they wanted? Remember how they were always saying he committed blasphemy. Remember how they were trying to always discredit him and how he would always confront them and they would have to go away just shaking their heads. I'm sure it crossed through their minds as they were coming to the tomb. Maybe they thought about the arrest of Jesus and how He was brought up on trumped up charges and put before the government and authorities and how they had people come and lie and how they hit Him and kicked Him and spit in His face. Or maybe they were thinking about the beating that He took how He was scourged not just 40 times because when a Jew was having a Jew beat, they could only do 39 times. And when a Roman was beat, they could only go 39 times. But when a Roman did a Jew, they could just go until they got tired. And Jesus' body was certainly beaten to a pulp. Maybe they were thinking about that. Maybe they were thinking about how His hands were nailed to a tree and His feet were nailed as well. And how a spear was thrust in His side. How his body was taken down and then placed into this tomb, how Pilate ordered it sealed and under Roman guard. And here they are coming to the tomb, and they're wondering, matter of fact, they ask the question, How will the stone be rolled away? Maybe you're here this morning and you're asking that question. Maybe there's a stone in your life that you're asking, How will the stone be removed? Maybe you have the stone of disbelief this morning and you're struggling. How can I believe that when I can't see it and I can't touch it? It just seems so hard. Thomas felt that way. He said, I'll not believe unless I touch the palms of His hands. And what did he say when he saw Jesus? My Lord and my God. called Him God in the flesh right there. Maybe... It's out of fear. Maybe you have the stone of fear because you're afraid. Maybe you've tried it before or maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you, you just keep uh, coming in and falling away and you're just kind of embarrassed at the point. Maybe you're like Peter was. Maybe you are just you feel like you've gone too far this time. You know, it's interesting. In verse 7, the Bible tells us in this chapter right here that when the angel saw them, He said, Go tell the disciples and Peter. Let Peter know as well. You know why he did that, I think? I think he did that because Peter had just denied Him three times after Christ had told him that He would. Even after in Matthew 16, he confessed Him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then when it came down to it, he denied Christ. Don't you know he was humiliated? Don't you know he felt like, I'm just going to go fish. That's all I was ever meant to do. I can't make any difference. I should—I don't even know what I was thinking. I'm not educated. I'm not smart enough. I don't have money. I should have never been doing this. I just—I just thought that maybe I could. Something happened, though. Jesus asked for him, and we see that through the power of the resurrection, Jesus' life—excuse me, Peter's life—is so transformed that he will die upon a cross himself. Something happened. Something changed. There was a stone rolled away in Peter's life for sure. See, it was always God's plan. He was never caught off guard by what was transpiring. Jesus always knew. The Bible tells us in John 14, 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible says that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become His Righteousness. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and verse 23, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and on the third day He will be raised to life. Jesus had already told them. He knew this was going to be happening. This was always His plan. Let's read in verse 4 and 7 in chapter 16, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And we know that young man was an angel according to the other Gospel writers. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid Him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him just as He told you. Just as He said. Just as He told you. There is hope. This changes everything. The resurrection changes everything because of the empty tomb. The empty tomb that He has fulfilled the promise that He gave. He fulfilled the prophecy that He Himself made. Eyewitnesses are changed and transformed because we see in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 verse 5 through 8 it tells us that he appeared to Peter then to the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 of the brethren many who were still living he appeared to James and then the apostle Paul himself has an experience with Jesus Christ the apostle Paul who was trying to exterminate Christianity who was arresting, who was trying to get rid of Christians, and he has some kind of experience on the road to where he changes, and so his life is transformed by the resurrected power of Christ, that he becomes the greatest evangelist of the New Testament. That he writes the majority of the books of the New Testament. Something happened. Something happened to those disciples who ran in fear and who were hiding. But now, after the resurrection, 11 of the 12 are willing to die a martyr's death. Thousands of Christians are willing to die over the course of the next 75 years for their faith in Christ because of the resurrection. Not just because he died on the cross, not just because he was put in a tomb, but because he rose again. That's why. That's the hope. That's the power. That's the difference that Jesus makes. That's the difference between Jesus and any other man because Jesus was God in the flesh. And He not only conquered fear, He not only conquered death, He conquered sin. That's my Jesus. That's the power of the resurrection. You know, as we look at this, many of them thought that He was dead and that He was gone. Many people thought that this was the end when He was placed in the tomb. Pilate thought he was dead and gone. Herod thought he was dead and gone. Satan and his demons thought this is the end. The religious leaders thought they had finally put an end to it. This faith is over. This movement is over. Even some of the disciples felt that way. But we see that they were transformed. They were changed by the power of the resurrection. Many of you remember the story in 2003 and April 26th a guy named Aaron Ralston, who was an avid rock climber and mountain climber. And he was out climbing in Aspen, Colorado one day. And he was almost to the top of the the mountain he was going to. And he placed his hand uh, on a big boulder. He tried to wrap his arm around it. He thought it was stable. It weighed over a thousand pounds. But it shifted and moved. And it crushed his hand against the mountain. And he tried for three or four hours to get it out. And he came to this conclusion. He said, okay... Here's the conclusion. One, I can just wait here and hope that someone will see me and rescue me from my situation. Number two, I can continue to try to move it with the little rope and the little pocket knife I have and try to do the best I can and hope that somehow I will move it. Or Thirdly, I can sever my arm or I can die. Those are my options. And he determined that he didn't think anyone would ever find him no one would ever rescue him. So we know the story. He severed his arm. You know, we are also hindered by a stone. It's the stone of sin that surrounds every heart that God cannot look upon. And only because of the blood of Christ, because of the resurrection, can it be removed. We are the same way. Some people try, I'll just try to move it on my own. I'll just try to get better. Some think if I can just sever myself from certain influences, I'll be okay. But in the end, it can only happen if someone removes it for us. If someone rescues us. If someone saves us. That person is Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. That person is the only one who's ever conquered death. That person is the only one that can forgive us of our sins. Have you experienced that grace and forgiveness? Have you experienced that resurrection power? Jesus made it clear who He was and what He was about. As we read here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning in chapter 2, He said, The Son has authority on earth to forgive sins. In 2.17 He said, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinner's. He goes on and He says in chapter 9, verse 23, everything is possible for him who believes. For God has a plan. We know this. In chapter 10, verse 9, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In chapter 13, He said, you will be hated on all accounts of My name, but the one who endures to the end shall be saved. In chapter 14, He says, this is My blood, the blood of a new covenant which is poured out for many. God has always had a plan. Chapter 13, verse 26, Then they will see the Son of the Man coming in clouds with a great power and glory, and He will send forth His angels and to gather for the elect from the four winds. In chapter 14, verse 61, the high priest asked Jesus, Are You the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. He is risen. He's not there as verse 7 said. He is risen. He's not here. And as it tells us at the end of verse 7, it says, Just as He told you. Here's the decision that we have to make today. We have to determine, was He God? Was He who He said He was? Or was He a liar? C.S. Lewis makes that quote. You've got to determine what is He. Is He telling the truth or He's lying? We've got one or two decisions He didn't leave the option for us to say He was a good man. He claimed to be God. You've got to determine. He's either lying or He's telling the truth. Which will you determine today? Will you receive Him as the risen and resurrected Lord? Or will you walk away in disbelief? I can't believe it. What about you this morning? Diane Cameron, who is a columnist in the USA today, tells the story of how she was raised... Uh, in church and how she had become a Christian at an early age, but then when she became an adult, she kind of drifted away. But every Easter and Christmas, she would still go to church. And then uh, one year, her, her mother had already passed away, and then her father passed away, and she said, I just felt so lonely. And I entered into this time of depression and discouragement. Easter rolled around, and I decided to go partially because that's just what I did, that's what I'd been raised to do, but also because I needed some hope. I'll never forget going to that church that day and the pastor saying, we live in a Good Friday world. We live in a Good Friday world. What's a Good Friday world? A Good Friday world is this. It's a world where they take an innocent and perfect man and crucify him because of their ego and because of their insecurities. It's a world, a Good Friday world, is where bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. That's the world we live in today. It's a Good Friday world. But praise God, we can be Easter people because of the resurrection, because the tomb is empty, because He is risen, because He has promised He will come and receive us just as He said He would. He's always had a plan. It was always His plan to come upon this earth. It was always His plan to be crucified. It was always His plan to be buried. And it was always His plan to rise. Have you received the risen and resurrected Lord? Salvation by grace through faith. Recognizing you can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a gift that is being offered. Will you receive the resurrected Lord and Savior today? Jesus wants you to become an Easter child even if you have to live in a Good Friday world. What about you this morning? Are you ready to receive the plan that He has offered for you?